You are listening to the Hutton Orbital News Digest. This is a shorter version of the full show that you can find on iTunes. Enjoy! A beaten-up old adder, puffing fumes from an ancient and poorly maintained engine, curtains with little tassels on in the windows, and the sides adorned with stickers proclaiming slogans like Make peace, not war and an awfully strong smell of onion head wafts its way towards Sol. It has missed the solstice, but a stopover with the mad monks of Van Marnen is sure to restore their karma. Their flight log shows that they hail from Chongzhi in the appropriately named HIP 10941, and to a person they're wearing bright colours, flares, and having probably long hair. As they pull into O'Connor, the adder makes a strange noise. The head hippie pops the bonnet open and waves away a cloud of smoke. Guys, guys, I think we've got some bad karma in the engines. They pop open the side slide doors perch on the edge and crack open a kale juice and a hand-rolled nicotine stick that resembles a carrot. One of them pulls up, pulls out a wind-up radio and after a minute or so of vigorous wrist action, pushes the on button and a voice can be heard to say, Our mics are live. Oh, heavy. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the audio edition of Hutton Orbital News. We've decided to turn the cameras off as everyone's melting, and you really don't want to be seeing that on screen. I'm Rudolf Hucker, and I'm sitting here wearing my very best desert chic, explorer-style, and with a hanky to mop my brow. (laughs) Which of the hanky clones did you get to do that? Not a clue. Can't tell them apart. Anyway, joining me in the studio tonight, we've got Harry Ballsack, who's gone for the Mankini and Shades option. Letting it all hang out wasn't really an option, not after the fuss everyone made last time, but thank goodness the cameras are off anyway. Uh, Next to me, in some kind of super-cooled sci-fi chill suit, it's Amelia Hawke. Custom made. Keeps me cooler than an ice world. And as frosty as Frosty the Snowman in a blizzard. Of course... Keeping me company, over in this corner, we've got Norma Snockers in a rather fetching sarong and wide-brimmed hat with giant tortoiseshell pattern shades. I'm just going for the jump-jump-toffer luxury beluga at Mullacore look. Thank you, Amelia. Unfortunately, something's happened to Lou. Lou, are you feeling okay? Just tried one of Cecil's cocktails. Oh dear, which one? The, the silica ice geezer. Oh dear, that explains the mist around your head. You'll warm up in a second. And now, on with the news. That's no moon, that's our station. Mystery message from Missing Maestro. Commander Asylum gives his fleet carrier the runaround. 
Two legs good, four legs bad. Hippie Convergence takes trippy diversion. Alvin eyes the double dozen as his expansion bites. Hopefully Lou's going to carry off his bit with a plum. And Norma's got her eye on the rest of the carry-on. First tonight, not content with being the baddest bad guy in deep space, Sinbad the ever-so-bad has been up to his old tricks again. With wings of Hutton pilots out in Colonia trying to put their hands on the biscuit barrel before the pristine, crunchy morsels are rendered into a cheap supermarket bucket of broken bits, Sinbad had to come up with a plan to distract attention. He and his wicked cohorts have expanded into Eel, Prokos and Tori, surrounded Hutton Moon and made threatening gestures in the direction of Fort Mug. The architect put out an appeal for help and a shoot-on-sight order for Sinbad's band and handed a landed landing band to his gang. Alvin is said to be less than impressed, as when it comes to his favourite chew toys, he's not fond of sharing. At least, not before he's bitten the end off and had a good go at swallowing the squeaker. The team have risen to the challenge and are now fighting on two fronts. The FTM Ruby 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 has taken the fast highway to the bubble to load up on commanders from allied factions and is bringing in the heavy guns just in case it all goes a little bit bellicose. They're off to Hutton Moon, they'll be there very soon and they're going to let Sinbad have a jolly good spanking. Also over in Colonia, there were reports that a new unregistered comms beacon had been discovered in orbit around Dunker's Rest. Worried that it was part of some evil plot, the 38 and the Hutton Trucker surrounded it, fully armed, before realising that it had started transmitting a mystery message to their shipboard computers. The team, not familiar with their phonetic alphabets and busy arguing as to whether Oscar 7 was a salute or some secret code phrase, have nevertheless determined that the beacon was left by Pilots Federation maestro Just Call Me Wendy. Checking local traffic logs, it looks like the pilot passed through the system at about the time the beacon arrived, but he appears to have turned off his transponder, not left any flight pans, and just headed out there. Hutton wishes JCMW well in his next adventure, and should he return to populated space, will always find a warm welcome at the orbital, and maybe even by then, a delivery of biscuits from Dunker's Rest. When Commander Asylum said that he was going to run a fleet carrier, we didn't notice he meant he was going to run around his fleet carrier. Over 24 hours, the Commander ran 26.35 miles. That's nearly 14 times the length of a fleet carrier. This wasn't a new owner being paranoid, checking to make sure that none of the visitors had scratched his paintwork. This was yet another way to raise credits to a special effect by running 1.1 miles every hour. Encouraged by his co-pilot Helen, Alvin and his minion Commander Kinrain would like to pass on their thanks for Asylum's efforts and for all the, of the pilots who assisted in raising the funds nigh on 1500 credits. 
They call them noob hammers. Pods at the end of long shafts attached to space stations to create artificial gravity. They're easy to miss as you approach your station, but it seems that they do not have the same problem. As most of us have, at one time or another, at least, come close to a rebuy after a love tap from one of these monsters. With practice and a little bit of care and attention, you've been able to avoid these swinging monsters. But now along comes a new design, which someone no doubt labeled an improvement. We suspect that Cavalieri Station in Electra may have had parenting issues, but lack of discipline isn't one of them, given that it has four, yes, four noob hammers. If you duck one of them, another will get you on the backswing. Leave your ship in the wrong place and you'll know what it's like to be at the end of Tiger Woods, um, wood. Disappointment was rife this week over at Van Marnen Star, as the Society of Galactic Hippies managed to miss their annual trip down the space ley lines to Sol to go and celebrate the Sol Summer Solstice at Glastonbury. Whilst traditional 20th century hippies celebrated this once a year with free love, body paint in place of clothing, flowers in their hair, a beardy chap riffing on a guitar, and long-haired chicks paint puffing ancient herbal cigarettes to recharge their mojo, since the 3260s there has been an increasing movement to visit a solstice every day somewhere in the galaxy. With over 50,000 days Sorry, with over 50,000 systems to choose from and countless Earth-like worlds, these space hippies spend their days in a daze and their nights plotting ley lines between the stars to plan their next journey. It appears that after visiting the mad monks of Van Marnen, the hippies suffered a truly bogus set of events, man, and their karma went all Mandelbrot, meaning that they didn't actually make it to the tour on time. When interviewed for this show, the head honcho hippie had only this to say. Heavy, man. Good luck getting to the next solstice, guys. And remember, peace out. For the last week, the Hot Pit team have had their eye on Alvin's increasing influence with concerns that expansion was high on the lists of things he didn't want. With no way to stop the tide of influence from doing its thing, as reported last week, the team have been holding on for dear life on the roller coaster that is galactical political machination. I'll put my teeth back in now. It ended this week with an emergency call being received from a lone trucker over in Wolf 1481. Guys, guys, I seem to have committed a bit of a faux pas. Yes, in an attempt to pay off some docking fines, the commander discovered that he'd accidentally paid the entry fee to have Hutton registered as an official faction in the system. Unfortunately, that place was due to be claimed by another faction, and they're rather put out that Hutton appearing in the system has led to a refusal by the Pilots' Federation to let them have the keys to a swanky new office. On further investigation, it turns out that the office had been vacated by the Alliance in the last 24 hours, having been unceremoniously booted out by a local federal faction. It also turns out that the system is actually quite nice, industrial, and well-equipped with ships and bits for budding Hutton commanders to fit. It also makes a nice trade route with a few of our other systems. So, 
we've decided to keep it. More on the master plan with Lou in a minute, but with this new system, that will take Hutton to the double dozen and yet again tweak loony federal president Hudson's nose. And now, over to Lou. The big news this week is that the runaway influence is coming under control. We are flattening that curve and we can prepare to go back to sharing a megagin with our friends. Obviously, this will lead to commanders failing to understand the distance difference between leaving space for other vessels and trying to squeeze as many ships as you can through the toast rack in one go. Because Megajin gives you fun ideas like that. And we'll be back to chaos before Ruby Ruby Ruby, yes that's its name, I'm not randomly repeating myself like Harry on an echo machine, has time to fly back to Colonia. Speaking of Colonia, they have, as always, in a fit of pique and jealousy, copied their betters and expanded into Pythias, a low-population, high-tech system literally brimming with friendly, for the time being at least, factions. Luckily, there's only one asset there, so there's nothing to fight over, and hopefully the fireworks will be restricted to Alvin's birthday celebrations. Until Simbad the Bad stings his fat arse in anyway. Hanky did send me some intel, but I was hot and bored and having a snooze, so I didn't read it. But we're very settled. Just ignore our systems and help out in WNL. They need it more than us. As you will all know, we have expanded into Wolf 1481, where we need to boost our influence with a view to controlling the system. They have a rather nice Coriolis that Alvin has his eye on. And to that end, we need to boost Wolf 1481 Corp, who are in an election that we wish to prolong. So that everywhere, so that the cheers at the hustings can drown out the sound of Alvin's chew toys. Everywhere else, you can just leave alone. And when I say can, I mean must. Punishments range from removal of megagin privileges to a bite on the bottom by Norma. Uh, sorry, I mean his fluffiness. Note to self: must stop confusing punishment duty with Friday fun times. Speaking of fun times, over to Norma. Good evening everyone. It looks like someone swapped my list of what's going on in the galaxy for the shipping manifest from Lael. So here is the rundown on the Hutton Fleet Carrier Fleet. First we have the FTM Cloud Atlas. It's completed its trip to Colonia and offloaded Alvin and a number of Hutton pilots as well as a few paying passengers without incident. It is now refuelling and on standby to make the return trip once they find Cecil and extricate him from the bar. Hot Monty is also on station there in case they need more muscle. Next we've got the Ruby Ruby Ruby, which has made an emergency diversion to the bubble to go and collect 10 pilots from the Paladin Consortium under the leadership of Noduran and bring them to help in Colonia. A number of Hutton pilots have also joined them, including at least one more hanky clone. The Alvin's Mercy, having completed last week's work, was backloading up on medicines over at Snyder Enterprise in TZ Aviatus, ready for curing the next plague to hit Hutton space. Breaking news from Commander Aiden is that due to a heroic effort by Farcup, he is now full up and 16,000 tonnes of medicine are aboard and en route to Epsilon in Vidani. The Alvin's port is off doing something with work team Hawkbox. The DSSA 
Christy Owens, refuge carrier 21, spent the week in the Arstis Nebula and is orbiting some Guardian ruins until the 28th, whereupon it will be heading over to its final destination in the Aquila's Halo region. Alvin's rest is still in motion and route for the DSSA. Other than that, the Buckyballers are over halfway through their engineer base race. As of earlier today, Commander Aiken B in the Happy Go Lucky is running in first place in a time of 39 minutes and 39 seconds. Picking up the second slot is Commander Sulu in the Celerina, only two minutes slower. Uh, and in third, Shea Blackwood in the Blackbird Sonic, eight and a half minutes behind. Alec Turner of the Buckyballers in the Bananary Fandango is languishing in sixth at the moment, but all to play for. Good luck everyone, and remember, mind that rock! That's all from me this week. Don't forget, if you're up to something in the galaxy, you can always message us before the show, or just leave a sticky note on my desk and I'll try and read it out. is in trouble bug infestations in the bubble your home stations burned rubble what on earth can we do when your faction leader's a dog and your daily tasks are a slog you're feeling like a youth cog what on earth can we do now interstellar initiative let Flossie tell you what it is Then you can get involved with this You should listen to what Flossie says Interstellar Initiative Flossie tells us what she thinks it is Then you can get involved with this Now you should listen to what Flossie says Listen to what Flossie says What on earth can we do? Do what Flossie tells you to What if she talks nonsense? Interstellar initiatives Let Flossie tell you what it is Then you can get involved with this You should listen to what Flossie says Now we Said, we can put this matter to bed Just keep a voice in your head Flossie told you what to do The wait is nearly over We have reached the fifth part of This Other Eden The casebook of Miss Marbles concerning the Taken Tankards, Cribbed China, Missing Mugs, Stolen Stoneware or purloined pottery. Now, we would explain the setup with a story so far, but quite honestly, if you've missed the first four, what's the point? Yes, I know, but, but is it worth it? After all, Miss Marbles herself is going to give a praise in a few moments. It makes me feel a bit redundant. Look, 
I know I'm not Wotherspoon presenting a documentary on Lael Wolf or making Sagittarius I sound magnificent, but I do my best. I hardly think it calls for that kind of language. Fine. Have it your way. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Flossie. As I stared at the wall of the fleet carrier, feeling that all I needed was a strong smell of diesel to complete the illusion that I was below deck on a cross-country ferry to combat the intense boredom, I pondered on the events that had led me to this on this unlikely journey. For example, why had someone stolen the mugs in the first place? What did they hope to do with them? It started with Flormopig Guy at Hutton giving me a clue which had sent me to the Mad Monks and their apotheosis, Eddie Gridler, only to be one step behind him, and then when, even when I did catch up with him, I'd been sent on what might prove to be a wild goat's chase to Seoul next door from where I started. But when I get to Seoul, where should I start my search? The outlaw Gridler has been quite vague and I couldn't spend time looking at every planet, asteroid, station and USS in the system. It would take far too long, and I'd, I'd already been told that this was the last episode. Better get a move on. So, a secret society, worshipping goats. Something as silly as this would be run by men, naturally. So where would they have their headquarters? Of course, Venus. She was always associated with goats one way or another, though nothing was ever proven, via many mythologies and astrology over centuries. Burnell Station, a civilian outpost in orbit above Venus, looks a little forlorn as we approached, its five pads all in darkness, until we came into land. This had to be it. This would be where I would find the cult of the Guardians and with their mysterious sigils and unnatural rites and I'd pack my camera just in case. The fact that the main imports for this station were beer and wine was the clincher, as we all know that secret male societies are just an excuse to have a funny handshakes, dress up and drink, and not necessarily in that order. I started to notice that there were, seemed to be more than the usual number of people wandering the corridors with capering companions and that despite them doing their best to look nonchalant, they were all gradually drifting in the same direction, along with people who did, did have cloven hoof companion, towards a room that was closed off by an old blanket, where two shifty-looking men seemed to be checking for something before allowing entry. I just had to know, so I got out my knitting again and tried to look every bit of my mostly harmless rating as I edged closer to the door. What was it they were looking for to allow entry? I got my first clue when all of the people with goats were waved straight through. This had to be the meeting of the cult of the goat, surely. Someone put their mouth close to the bouncer's ear and said, I'm feeling horny, and was admitted. There were variations on this, such as, I'm not kidding, Nanny sent me, and I'm a silly billy. Others showed some kind of symbol. One had what I sincerely hope was a piece of goat horn in his hand. Another had a piece of particularly smelly cheese. And one lady in very tight trousers just opened the front of her coat, which seemed to satisfy the doorkeeper. 
I'm a friend of book, I said. A phrase which has got me out of trouble in many a seedy location, about as often as it caused everyone to turn and stare, accompanied by the sound of guns being cocked, but it was worth a try. Luck was with me, as a blanket was pulled back and I was ushered in. Do you know the word hercine? No, neither did I, but believe me, it is a word that I know will stay with me for a long time. Much like the smell of goats, it's used to describe, and the rash I got from one of them rubbing against my leg. The meeting had started, and the man at the front, who was wearing a whole goat skin like a cloak and horns, surely he must have been hot in that, was saying something about manipulating the cost of low-temperature diamonds. We must not allow them to be sold at the free mind price, he shouted. We must consolidate all of our holdings in a sweeping merger. Then, when the authorities check the curves of the prices over time, they won't think about the why they flat, flatter mystery. These weren't the goat worshippers. This was nothing but a high finance meeting disguised as a religious revival, purely for the purposes of avoiding tax and sneaking in more book titles. This was not going to get me closer to the missing mugs, but it was my only lead. Think, June Marbles. Think, I thought. Are you back at the beginning? It was with a sinking heart that I realised that I had indeed come back to square one and that I must have been too hasty in departing the scene of the crime. Pausing only to buy a large stack of paperback books and a coffee at the Spaceports branch of W.H. Schmidt's even in the 34th century, branches can still be found in out-of-the-way locations, though to this day nobody knows why. I set off en route for Houghton Orbital. Join us next time for the final part of this other reason. Promise it's the last one. When back at the scene of the crime, Miss Marbles confronts the criminal mastermind and unmasks the villain in her most dangerous and daring move yet. Flossie told you what to do. Good evening. I'm Amelia Hawke, and this is the Galnet Food Digest. We try everything strange and dangerous in the galaxy, so you don't have to. This week, I'm investigating one of the stranger, rare foodstuffs available in the galaxy. Sanuma decorative meat. At first glance, the name lends itself to the kinds of protein-based clothing used by actresses at red carpet events to draw attention to themselves, or the plight of cute and fluffy animals. Bacon skirts, beef brisket hats, chicken fillet-filled undergarments. However, there is a lot more meat to this story. Sonuma decorative meat is quoted as being one of the most inventive of synthetic specialist meats, grown into fabulous sculptures of flesh on the bone. Available in only small quantities from Dunyak in Sonuma, even the name of the station sounds like someone is proclaiming a visit to talk to the galaxy on the porcelain telephone. The Sonuma system isn't interesting in itself, this meat isn't found on the pastures of some nearby Earth-like world, grazing on the finest of grasslands or 
swimming through blue oceans without a care in the world. Dunyak is a high-tech station, and it is here that they invented the process. Whilst lab-grown meat substitute is protein-rich, though texture-poor, known throughout space, the Sonuma scientists have taken things one stage further. Using artificial bone structure substitute and their own secret growth formula, they're actively able to rear their own meat direct onto any bone shapes that they want, and with some cunning DNA adjustments, replicate just about any known meat in the galaxy, alive or extinct. The laboratory has an extensive library of endangered creatures. For those far too dangerous to hunt for food, the Australian drop bear, the three-horned fire-breathing cattle of the onesie system, the ice camels of Europa, can all be authentically replicated, speared and spit-roasted over an open fire. For the modern Stone Age family, there is the option of having a drive-through brontosaurus chop delivered to the window of the family adder. For the Scottish contingent, there's the square sausage, grown from eight-cornered pigs of QBO3. And for the Camori Mafria, the purple pepperoni of pepper station in the appropriately named pepper system. They can even grow the meats to order. Flame-grilled dragon chops, unicorn rump steaks, complete with rainbow marbling, and in the less savoury parts of the galaxy, you can even grow them in the shape of your worst enemy and feast on his flesh. Though we understand you have to be both imperial and seriously inbred to want to try that one, uh, or the Don. Of course, all the trimmings can be added. Want porks crackling grown naturally on your chicken thighs? Want wolf nipple chips or ocelot noses? Mock turtle soup made with genuine mock turtles. Turkey drumsticks that you can actually use to play music. Anything goes. I've been here for a week and seen meat that you wouldn't believe. All shapes and sizes and cooked every which way from ceviche to saignan to smoky and jerky. So where is the danger? Simply put, It's from the galaxy's militant vegan population. Whilst the meat is lab-grown and has never met a living, breathing, cud-chewing remnant, fundamentalist vegans have taken to using guerrilla tactics to shut the labs down as meat is murder, even if the meat was never alive. Over the centuries, what started as an ethical choice, not to eat anything with a face, has evolved into a salad cult with clout. How their diet stands up in modern times when you meet the semi-sentient portobello creatures of the cave sector, or the singing sweet potatoes of yam, is anyone's guess. There are rumours that the scientists have been experimenting on Thargoid hearts to try and replicate edible sweetbreads, but as of yet, all recipes have proven to taste like chicken. This is Amelia Hawke for the Galnet Food Digest. I'm wearing my Tsunama Ruberger sandals and off to a Barbie. Next week, with a look at more of the galaxy's strangest foodstuffs, the luxury hamper items from Derignus and Chi Eridani.
little piece of software called the Hutton Helper in your spaceship. If you ain't already got it installed, you can install it yourself, relatively pain-free, by going to the website hot.forthemug.com. Almost as pain-free as falling off your horse, like Beecher did the other day. Well, actually, he ran it straight into a wall. <laughs> it looked damn painful, too. So let's get on to our top truckers this week. Yeehaw! From the Explorers, jumping around like them noisy crickets in the field, Commander Dwight Schrute took the lead this week and jumped 42,685 light years. Commander Millstone Barn had fun with his trigger finger again this week, turning the despicably dirty new batter Don Antonacci and his band of pathetic pirates into space dust. He racked up over 78 million credits worth of bounties while tearing the engines out of each and every one of the Don ships. Running missions faster than Cecil on the way to Cubicle 3 to take a leak. Commander Millstone Barn took the lead and tallied up 1,165 mission points this week. Loading up the new trailer attachment to the rear of a Lacon Type 9 and filling it to the brim, Commander Yorina Yoshida hauled almost 202,000 tons of cargo around the galaxy. Driving the Hutton Uber this week, Commander Prince Swin Kimri just uh, delivered 677 passengers around the galaxy. He even picked up a Happy Meal from McThargoids for one of them customers. Now, some of y'all thought you could take a shortcut on the old Hutton Run. Well, that don't sit well with Button. Hutton Run is a time-honored challenge to jump into the system at Alpha Centauri and travel that .22 light year straight out to Hutton Orbit. Much like other race challenges in the past, such as the Bandit and Snowman running 400 cases of Coors beer from Texarkana back to Atlanta, and the Cannonball Run zooming across the United States from New York City to Los Angeles. You don't get to use shortcuts. What fun would it have been if one of them simply chartered a flight? Nope, ain't no challenge in that. Lacon Spaceways employs only the finest programmers and time trackers, though. And those who thought they'd snake their way into the top echelon have simply disappeared instead. Many thanks especially to Atari's Fusion for his tireless work on the Hutton Helper, keeping the sanctity of the run and all of our other challenges. Thus, for this week, 
I will only mention that our fastest run to Hutton Orbital is held by Commander Brett Riverboat in one hour, 22 minutes, and 31 seconds. That time can be beat, but are you willing to do it the honest way and light up the sky? If so, download the Hutton Helper and get to flying, Commander. You want to hear your name on this here radio station? Make sure you got the Hutton Helper installed. Pick it up on the web at hot.forthemug.com and get to trucking. And don't forget, if you do hear your name called out and you ain't already got one, get in touch with us to get your very own hut decal for your ship. Hutton Top Trucker, brought to you by Lacon Spaceways, the only ships in the galaxy that still use NASA's $23 million toilet system. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the end of the show. Everybody's buggered off now, so why don't you bugger off too? Well, in which case, I don't know which one you've chosen this week, but shall I hand over to Flossie and Sean, yes. Mr. Palantir, when with whichever tune you've chosen? You... Oh. No, we killed the ball machine again. Oh, no, it's on, off. <laughs> Seamless. Hit it with a hammer. It's, it's, it's cool. Fire. Are we ready? Should we sing it? Yeah, we're ready. We're, we're really ready.